Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest continues with part three of his teaching on the book of Ephesians. We are a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Woo-hoo! All right, praise the Lord. Glory to God. You know, this is our, that's our vision. That's our mission. We're saying it every Sunday because we believe that for Faith Life Fellowship. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to continue this week on our fantastic voyage through the book of Ephesians. Amen. The book of Ephesians, part three. Remember when we got started on this series, we said that in chapter one, God authored the plan of redemption. In chapter 2, Jesus executed the plan. And in chapter 3, the Holy Spirit revealed the plan to the church. Amen. So that's kind of an outline of the first half of the book of Ephesians. In chapter 2, which we're going to cover today, we discuss how God found us after the fall and how Jesus removed the barriers between Jew and Gentile and between God and man. Amen. So, first of all, how God found us, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. The first half of the book of Ephesians basically talks about how God found us after the fall and what he did to rescue us from our dilemma. When God found us after the fall, we were lost and without hope. We were dead in our sins and unable to do anything to help ourselves. Remember, God saw all of this before the fact, before the foundation of the universe, before space, time, and matter were created. He knew about man's fall, and he already planned ahead of time the answer through the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? In chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, God finds man under a triple curse. Hear me out. Number one, he is under the curse of sin and its penalty, death. Number two, he's under the influence of this world system ruled and dominated by Satan and his kingdom. And number three, he is dominated by the flesh and by the unrenewed mind. Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, and you hath he quickened who were dead and trespasses and sins. So when God found us after the fall, Mankind was dead in trespasses and sins. The Greek word there for trespasses is paraptoma. It means blunder. This is a reference to unintentional or unknown sin. The Greek word for sins is hamartia. It means known sin. So not only is the sinner lost in the sins he knows about, He's lost in the sins that he doesn't know about. Amen. But praise God, through the blood of Jesus, we've been redeemed from both the sins we know about and the ones we don't know about. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. Verse 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, first of all, the thing I want you to see there is the Greek word for air there is is talking about the atmosphere around the earth. 
Satan is described as the prince of the power of the air. So another way to think about it is Satan is the prince of the power of the atmosphere. Remember, Satan and his demon spirits are not all in hell, as some suppose, at least not full time. They inhabit the atmosphere around the earth and they influence the course of this world. And that same spirit of the world, if you will, manipulates and influences the hearts of men. Verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now there's a lot there that I want you to see. But the main thing I want you to see is this. Sinners sin because it's their nature to sin. Righteous people do righteous things because it is their nature to do so. Amen? The sinner doesn't need to do right to change his heart. He needs to change his heart so that he can do right. Has everybody got that? A change of heart is necessary if man is going to be able to live a righteous life. In chapter 5, we'll see that the believer who is out of fellowship with God acts just like an unbeliever. While he's in that condition, he cannot be led by the Holy Spirit because he'll be led by his mind and his flesh. Amen. Romans 8 verse 6 says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I got news for you. It's not necessarily good news. But it's news. You can be a Christian and still be producing death in your life. This is why it's so critical for the believer to stay out of sin and to stay in fellowship with the Lord. When your mind sides with the flesh, the Bible says it produces death in your life. But when your mind sides with the spirit, it produces life and peace. So to summarize what we've learned so far. Verses 1 through 3 tell us how God found us. Man was under the curse of sin, influenced by the prince of this world, and controlled by the desires of his flesh and his mind. But in verse 4, we come face to face with the love of God. His great love and his great mercy were the answer to man's dilemma. But God... Verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us. Listen to this. We were hopelessly lost in our sins, and death reigned in our lives, but God. But God. This is a little bit of a side issue, but I have to go there. Sometimes we have to get our butts in the right place. Don't say, I know the Bible says this, but my circumstances say something else. Instead, say, I know what the circumstances say, but God's word says this. Learn to get your butt in the right place. Amen. Hallelujah. I knew you'd appreciate that. Now, the Greek word here in verse four for rich is plusios. It's the Greek word that we get our word plutocrat from. It means the filthy rich. So you could read it like this. But God, 
who was filthy rich in mercy, overflowing abundant rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Amen. A plutocrat means someone who is so wealthy that he's able to influence the affairs of others. Even nations can be influenced by very wealthy men and women. For good or for bad. God is so rich in mercy that he's able to influence us to choose him. Mercy is God's grace in action, and he richly bestowed it upon us because of his great love for his man. Amen. John chapter 3, you probably never heard this verse before. John chapter 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the part that most people leave out. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. I got to thinking about this last night, and I got a little bit of a revelation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Do you realize what that means? That's talking about how that Jesus was begotten of mankind. He became 100% God, but also 100% man. That was his only begotten son, Jesus. Jesus, in the form of the word of God, existed with him in eternity. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then verse 14 says, That Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Bible says, The disciples beheld the glory of God in that man. So this was the only begotten Son of God. And I got to think about it. He only had his Son for 30 years before he had to give him up for the world. Think about all of eternity he was with the word, but just for 30 years was he with his begotten son. Think about that. I think about my little grandchildren, about the thought of giving one of them up for somebody else that they might live. I can't even fathom the thought of it. You know, not to mention my own children. I remember when my oldest, Marcy, we were stationed at Corpus Christi, Texas. I was flying for the Marines still. And uh, I had taken uh, Marcy and Miss Trish to the base O Club and to the pool. And we were kind of hanging out by the pool. And we were laying out by the baby pool, which was only about a foot or so deep for most of it. But when you got to the center where this fountain was, is, we got to the center where this fountain was, it was about three feet deep there. So I remember just kind of rolling over, and, you know, we were watching her out of the corner of her eye, and she was sitting down in the one-foot water, but she started standing up and walking towards the fountain. She wanted to feel the bubbly water. And I knew that if she got within two or three steps of that fountain, she was going under. And I was not fast enough to get to her before she went under. And I went over there. I mean, I was fast, but not fast enough. And I got her just after she slipped under the water. And I picked her up. And she's like, I put her to my chest. And she started crying because she was afraid. 
And I had this tremendous compassion in my heart that rose up. It was so powerful. Just the thought that my little daughter would be afraid even for a second was distressing to me. So think about the emotions of God when he had to give up his only begotten son to torture and death like he did. I cannot imagine. You know, God has emotions. I got news for you. He's just not an old white guy with a white beard sitting on a stone throne and no emotions. I'm not saying he's Caucasian. I'm just saying, you know, people imagine him that way. Just some old guy who's just far removed from anything in your life. That is not God at all. That is not the father at all. He grieves on, you know, it's just a thought, just at the thought of one of his children suffering. So I cannot imagine what it took for him to voluntarily say, son, you got to go and give your life for these people. It's the only way I can't imagine. I'm so thankful that he did. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Whew. Now, am I ever going to be able to get back on track after that? Glory to God. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Verse five says, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 5 and 6 illustrate the point again that God saw all of this ahead of time. He saw us dead in sin, but at the same time, he saw us quickened or made alive in Christ Jesus. Amen. And at the end of verse 5, we see that all of this was done by God's grace. None of it was earned or deserved by us. Now, you know the traditional definition of God's grace. It, it says God's grace is his unmerited favor. But I'm here to tell you, it is his unmerited favor and much, much more. I like to think about it like this. God's grace is his unmerited favor, but it's also his willingness to commit all of his resources on your behalf. That's God's grace. Psalm 84 in the Amplified verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows present grace and favor and future glory, honor, splendor, and heavenly bliss. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So he gives you glory and favor and then everything you need. He doesn't hold back anything that you need to be who God called you to be. Amen. Notice, let's put verse 5 and 6. It's the, it's the next slide, verse 5 and 6 again. A couple more things I want you to see. Notice that the word together is used three times in verses 5 and 6. I don't think it's an accident. I think there's emphasis. It illustrates to me, and I believe it's plain to see, that all of these things happen to us because of what Jesus did. And they happen because we're in him. We were quickened by him, we were raised up by him, and we were made to sit in heavenly places together with Christ. Amen? Together, together, together. 
Amen. Anytime you see something in the scripture two or three times, it is Holy Ghost emphasis. Praise God. Now, one point that's often overlooked is that in spite of God's great love for us, he could not die for us because the Bible says God is a spirit. He cannot die. He cannot be killed. It had to be a man. And it couldn't be just any man. God chose his son, Jesus, who existed, as we said before, who existed with him in eternity in the form of the word of God. And God saw all of this ahead of time, that there would come a time when the word would have to become flesh. And when he would die and pay the price for us to be rescued from our lost and hopeless state. Amen. He saw at a time he saw Christ quickened. Then he saw us quickened. When he saw Christ raised, he saw us raised. And when he saw Christ seated with him in heavenly places, he saw us seated with him in heavenly places. Amen. Glory to God. Verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. This verse tells us that God's grace is not only available for us here on the earth, But it's going to follow us into the next life throughout the ages towards eternity. Amen. It's not just a one time deal. Most of us believe God has a plan for our lives here on earth. But many of us don't realize he's also got a plan for you in the next life. He does. You're going to have an assignment. You're going to do things and it's going to be fun and there's going to be adventure and it's going to be so So much better than people imagined. You know, when I hear people say, well, you know, what are you going to do in eternity? I guess we're just going to float around, playing a harp, listless, aimless, do nothing. Listen, there's going to be plenty of praise and worship in heaven. Don't get me wrong, but there's going to be plenty of work to do as well. It's going to be fun. We're not going to be boring. You know, to listen to some people talk about heaven, I don't, I, that sounds boring to me. We're going to do cool stuff. And some of the dreams that were not completely fulfilled while you were on the earth will be in the next life in a fantastic fashion that you can't even imagine right now. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Woo. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So his plan is includes exceeding riches of grace that will be poured out on us throughout the ages to come. His kindness and love will be extended toward us through Christ Jesus. Amen. Verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, we've all heard this a lot. It's preached a lot, but I want to point some things out to you that you might not have heard before. Verse eight makes it clear that we're saved by his grace through faith. And as we've already said, everything we received and everything we will receive from God was and is because of his grace. But notice that it was by grace through faith. Faith plays a key role in activating God's grace. This is something most people don't get. Romans chapter five, verse one and two. Listen to this. 
Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Amen. The grace of God is there, but it takes faith to access that grace and everything that comes with it. Amen. Everybody get that? You access the grace of God through faith. Verse 9 makes it clear again that none of this happened because of anything we did. It was all because of what Jesus did. It says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice also in verse 8 that not only was his grace given to us, but even the faith that was necessary to activate that grace was a gift given to us by God. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Most people think that the that not of yourselves is talking about the grace. If you read it grammatically, it's talking about the grace and the faith. They were both gifts of God given to you. Even the faith to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord is a gift from God. So basically, you can sum it up like this. We had zero contribution to the whole affair. You know, everything was given to us. I'm giving you the faith to believe in the grace of Jesus Christ. It's up to you to activate that grace by faith and believe that Jesus is Lord. I've given everything you need to you. Now you need to use it. It's very, very sad to me that there are millions that are slipping into hell every year. And they've got the key already on the inside of them. Over there in John chapter one, it says that the light of Jesus has been put into the heart of every man and woman that has entered planet Earth. So in you is the key to accepting Jesus. All you have to do is yield to it. But many don't. Very sad. Hallelujah. We played no role at all. We did not reach out to God, but he reached out to us. Romans 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, including the faith to believe that Jesus is Lord. It was also a gift given unto you. All right, let's go back to Ephesians verse 10. This is cool. We've all heard this, but it needs to be preached and preached and preached because not many people believe this about themselves. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Amen. The Greek word for workmanship there is poema. It means that you are a special poem created by God. Think about it. When you read a beautiful poem, the glory doesn't go to the poem itself, but to the author of the poem. Amen. He created us special and unique, and he created us for a special purpose. We each have a plan for our lives, which was ordained by God. He wants us to walk in good works that he prepared ahead of time for us to walk in. You were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Why is that important? 
This again illustrates the point that good works result because you were created in Christ Jesus. You were born again and your nature was changed. It's the only way you can produce good works. You got bad fruit. It's going to produce bad works. You got good fruit. It will produce good works. Amen. Good works do not produce a good nature, but a good nature produces good works. Everybody got that? You can't be who who God called you to be unless you're born again. Jesus made it real clear to Nicodemus. He was getting all religious with Nicodemus and Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. It is mandatory, as the British would say. There's no way around it. You have to have your heart changed in order to be the man or woman God called you to be. So to summarize verses 1 through 10, essentially the first half of chapter 2, we see that God found us in a hopeless state. Then Jesus executed the plan of redemption, delivered us out of it all, and set us back on the right path. Amen. Glory to God. All right. We're going to have to go warp 2. Currently at warp 1. Those of you who Star Trek, that is warp. It's better than impulse power, right? Everybody know what I'm talking about? I see a lot of blank stares. We'll put it this way. Warp is faster than impulse power. So we're warp one, and we've just gone to warp two. All right. The second half of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, basically can be summarized like this. Jesus, through the finished work of the cross, removed the barrier between Jew and Gentile and between God and man. All right? Verse 11. Like I said, we're already at warp 2. We'll go to warp 3 if we have to. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Okay? There's a lot here. But let me just tell you that the divide between Jew and Gentile was as huge a racial divide as you could ever imagine. They were not even allowed to touch them or go into their homes. You know, the ultimate racial prejudice. Okay, and so basically Paul is saying to these these Ephesian Gentiles, it's not the same as it used to be. They used to call you the uncircumcised and they looked down on you and they were condescending toward you. That's all changed because of what Jesus did. That's what this verse basically is saying. Not only did the cross remove the barrier between God and man, but it also removed the barrier between the races. Listen to me. The author of racial prejudice is Satan himself. Unfortunately, It has existed and always will exist as long as the hearts of men are influenced by this world system. But there's one true place of equality for all men. That place is in Christ Jesus through the new birth. When you become born again, you have the ability to see others the way God sees them. No longer concerned with their outward appearance, but looking at the heart. That's the key to eliminating racism right there. Look at the heart because that's what God looks at. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. 
for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You could read it like this to to include, by extension, all races. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, black, white, brown, red, or yellow, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. In the heart of the Father God, there are no racial distinctions. There are no social distinctions. There are no sexual distinctions. We are all one in Christ Jesus, and our Father God loves us all the same. He truly has no favorites. (laughs) Remember we sing that song, I'm God's favorite. He's got eyes only for me. You are his favorite, but so is everybody else in Christ. (laughs) I don't know how he pulls it off, but he does. Hallelujah. We're all one in Christ Jesus and God the Father loves us all the same. These barriers were removed at the same time the sin barrier was removed by the shed blood of Jesus. Amen. Before I leave this point, I know I'm meddling. I want to make one thing clear. There are large numbers of born again people of all races who do not have this revelation. This is why I believe it's so important for believers to be filled with the Holy Ghost, because when you are, it brings revelation to your heart and guides you into all truth. John 16, 13. Now, it has been said, and and they're still saying it. Sunday morning church services are the most segregated hour in America. Well, that may be true of most churches. But if you look at the Holy Ghost churches, this is not what you see. And it's no accident. Where the Holy Ghost is free to move, people of all races will be found worshiping God together. That's why I'm so adamant about allowing the free flow of God's Spirit in our services because it washes all that nonsense away. Amen? Glory to God. All right, off my soapbox. Back to verse 12. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Sounds pretty depressing, doesn't it? But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now, hang with me here. Verse 12 tells us three things that were true before we were born again. Number one, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. The commonwealth speaks of the remnant of the nation of Israel that are true believers. No matter how wicked Israel got, there was always a remnant among them. Number two, We were strangers from the covenants of promise. This includes the four covenants made with the nation of Israel. The Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, which gave them right to the land, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. Number three, we had no hope, and we were without God in this world. In other words, no hope. No hope. Think about that. That, that's depressing to think about it. But that's where mankind was. That's where the Gentiles were until Jesus paid the price. When we were born again, the blood of Jesus removed the barrier, the great gulf that separated us from God. 
And all of the things that were true in verse 12 are no longer true for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Each of those covenants I mentioned has a natural and a supernatural fulfillment. And we have a part to play in all of them as saints of God. Galatians 3 verse 29 says, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. We're children of Abraham by faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 14 says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He has made all true born-again believers one with God. Now the phrase, who hath made both one, refers to God and man who were reconciled by the blood of Jesus. The partition or the barrier that existed between God and man was removed. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Hallelujah. He removed the barrier between you and God. God's not mad at the world. Jesus paid the price. All he is grieving is the fact that many have not accepted that sacrifice and come to know him as God the Father and Jesus as their Lord. That's all he's grieving about. Verse 15, back in Ephesians. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that means warfare, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace. Now, I want you to see this. The one new man there is talking about the divide, the gulf between Jew and Gentile is now gone. The barrier between the two is now gone, and Jesus can make one new man consisting of those Jews that believe in Christ and those Gentiles that believe in Christ, and they can all be one as children of God by the Spirit of God. Amen. Glory to God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Romans 8, verse 3 says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Listen, when Jesus said it is finished in John 1930, when Jesus said it is finished, he was referring to the law. The law was finished and has been fulfilled completely by Jesus. It is finished. He satisfied all the requirements of the law. On his own body. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 15. We're up to warp chapter 4. That's why I'm stuttering a little bit. Scotty just told me that you're not sure the dilithium crystals are going to hold up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Verse 16. And that he might reconcile both. Talking about the two different parts of the one new man, Jew and Gentile. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity or the warfare thereby. And came, verse 17, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. 
for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Again, the point of racial reconciliation is emphasized in these verses. You were far off, refers to the Gentiles, uh, and then that were nigh refers to the Jews. But through Jesus, both Jew and Gentiles have access to God by one spirit. Amen. Verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, no matter what your race or what your sex, you are a fellow citizen, a saint of God. You're a fellow citizen of heaven. You already have your citizenship in heaven, even while you're here on planet Earth. Amen. Verse 20 says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Now, I got to say this. Jesus Christ was the chief cornerstone. A cornerstone joins two walls together. In this case, the two walls were the old and the new covenant, which were joined together and fulfilled in Christ. Remember that the old covenant looks forward to the cross. But here in the new covenant, we look back to the cross. Jesus is in the middle and thus he acts as a cornerstone. Amen. Verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit. Amen. That's what happened this morning in worship. We are all living stones, Peter says, which together form a holy temple or a dwelling place for God. We cannot forget that when we come together, we make a temple. And if one stone is out of joint, the temple ain't what it needs to be. You know what I'm saying? That's why it's so important not to hold back and praise and worship. First Peter two, verse five says, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Say, I'm a living stone. I'm going to offer up sacrifices to him. Because he is worthy and he is holy. Hallelujah. All right. So to summarize Verses 11 through 22, the second half of chapter 2, we see that Jesus removed the barriers between the races and the sexes, and he removed the barrier of sin and guilt that separated us all from God. When he was lifted up on the cross, think about this. He was suspended between heaven and earth, between God and man. And this is a perfect picture of his role as our reconciler and our mediator. Amen. John 12, 32. And I, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That's not talking about drawing people to praise Jesus as you lift him up. That's talking about him literally being lifted up from the earth, suspended between heaven and earth as our mediator. First Timothy 2, 5 says it like this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Next time you see a portrait or a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, just remember he was suspended between heaven and earth, and he paid the price to bring down the barrier between God and man. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. I think that's a good place for an amen. 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 Hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed part three of today's teaching on the book of Ephesians. Come visit our website at gofaithlife.com where you can learn more about us, access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.